0: Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. All right, Chris. So the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. What do you want to start with? What do you want to talk about first in regard to this?
1: So, Rich, it's it's quite an interesting subject because this is something in the West that people just don't know about now. Yes, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. We're going to call it the SCO just to save time. Forty percent of the world's population lives under this organization. A third of the world's wealth lives under this organization. Yet, in the Western media's narrative, it almost doesn't exist to the point where I can imagine a lot of people won't understand what this show is going to be about because they've never heard of this and. A lot of people, they, they've heard maybe the, about the SAO. They've heard these terms about BRICS. They don't really understand what these organizations are. Are they military alliances? Is it somehow a, a sort of the opposite of NATO, but China's version? There's a lot of sort of disinformation going around or no information at all. So I think we should just sort of iron out what it is, what it actually does, why it's important to the developing world going forward. And by the development, mm. I don't mean poorer nations in Africa that maybe some of, some of them aren't members or aren't really treated to a lot of the development that is going on. But mm. like I say, ha- nearly half the world's population benefits directly from the decisions of this organisation. So I think it is important for our viewers to really understand what it is. Mm. Mm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. It is a very big, very important organisation that covers, I mean, you've got India, you've got China, you've got Russia, We've got almost all of the stands, uh, and then, as you'll see, we'll discuss later. Iran is going to be joining, or is is, is about to join. Um, so it, it involves all of Asia, almost all of all of mainland Asia. Yeah. So um, it's massive. It's really massive. So yeah, I think what I want to push up first for uh, to discuss this is um, in terms of its foundation. When does when did this start, and where does this sit in sort of um, um, you know in time and history? So. I've got a thing here from a website called ResponsibleStatecraft.org, which talks about the origin, basically. And so this starts actually uh, long before Xi Jinping, uh, before Putin. It starts uh, with, in fact, actually going back. I mean, it depends how far you draw the line. So let me just get this article up here. Um, But it it talks about going back to uh, the end of Brezhnev's era. So um, very far back. So we're talking about the late 70s. So this idea of reunifying Russia and China and linking up economically um, was being touted back then. And even Gorbachev, um, you know, suggested the idea of pivoting uh, to Asia, normalizing relations with with a Chinese um, a priority, with China as a priority. Um, just make sure that you guys can see that. Okay. And, but really, um, it starts with Yeltsin, Boris Yeltsin, and uh, Jiang Zemin. So if you aren't familiar with your Chinese statesman, you have Xi Jinping now, we had Hu Jintao, then Jiang Zemin, and before that, Deng Xiaoping. So Jiang Zemin is the guy who comes after Deng Xiaoping, so in the
1: 90s. So Jiang um, Zemin was the premier who presided over the handed over of Hong Kong back to China, I believe, wasn't it?
0: That's correct. Yeah, 97, 99, that would have been him. Yeah, that's that's him. Um, yeah, and a big part of this thing is... Uh, of course, they were disillusioned with uh, the, un- the new unipolar world, the US-led world back in the 90s. Okay, so this is after the Cold War, after the collapse of the USSR, uh, and you're talking about the birth of the relations there, um, beginning. So um, this, this expression also is quite important to note here is this expression of the uh, multipolar world. I know that it's you know, a word or an expression that's been used in uh, international studies for a long time but you see a policy with this name on it. So you see the Russia-Chinese joint declaration on a multipolar world and the establishment of a new international order, which is, was signed by Yeltsin and Jiang Zemin, which, which I have up here as well, but it's just a, you know, just a, it's a document written in 1997. It's not particularly, we can't go over all, it's a thousand page document, we can't
1: go over all yeah. it right
0: now. But yeah, um, that's where you see the beginning of this, um, these new structures, the SCO BRICS and all of the other multipolar and uh, multipolar sort of organizations. Um, yeah, I so
1: think, I think that's really interesting to point out, because obviously on the show, we talk about we use that term a lot about multipolarism and the era hmm. of a multipolar world. Uh, especially this year, hmm. we've been talking about it more due to uh, Putin's speech a few months ago where he stated this is the beginning of the era of a multipolar world. Uh, but it just hmm. shows that after the Soviet Union uh Collapse in the early in '91, there was this mm. immediate urge to reconcile the fact that America is now going to act and behave and believe itself to be the one polar of the world and the mm. only power. And mm. there was straight away this expectation, in some senses, in some circles, for China specifically to step in, not as a competitor, uh, in, in a, in a, sorry, not as a replacement. In a in a might sort of way, but as a way to rebalance the world with multipoles, different to how it was with the United States and Soviet Union, but mm-hmm. equal in its importance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um in terms of the this this of the nature of the actual SEO. So yeah, like you said, with a unipolar world dominated by the US, or perhaps you could look at a maybe even Britain for a certain period of time, had that sort of unipolar power. And then Cold War, you have bipolar two poles. Um, There's something different, though, that the Chinese are very uh, intent, sort of, when it comes to the SCO, they have a big intent on emphasizing that this is a new form of international relations. So it's trying to be something very different to what we've seen in the past. And there's a particular expression that they have here, which is, do not enter an alliance, do not oppose each other. Do not take action against a third party and obviously be good neighbors, good partners, and good friends. Okay. Um, So it's obviously quite cryptic, some of this. And I think that's some of the criticism that has been weighted against SEO meetings is that they're kind of talking shops and people don't really know what it is. And it is a little bit confusing, but that's because it's not something that fits into one of the boxes I think that we've had um, at least for the last 70 years. It's not a Cold War alliance yet, at least. I mean, obviously things in, in, yeah. in the Ukraine can change that. But um, what's important to, to stress here is that because you've got India, you've got Pakistan, you've got countries and China too, which have actual differences and disagreements and even uh, minor conflicts with each other. I mean, Iraq, um, India and China had that border conflict. Um, yeah. You also have Pakistan and India, with a famous uh, rivalry or you know, potential for conflict there. So it's not um, quite as simple as being just like the Eastern Bloc. This is not just like the Cold War all over again. There's something more to how uh, the nations behave and uh, relate to each other. Yeah. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, I'm trying to just just finish with this document here. So uh, if we go a bit further along, we can see that particularly in the 90s, one of the other, you know, Moments or sparks that created the initiative to drive for the SEO and, and closer relations between Russia and China is the bombing of um, the Chinese embassy in Belgrade in Serbia and the whole Yugoslav war. So the um, you know war that wasn't allowed by the Security Council, uh, a unipolar war with NATO and um, and the US taking part and in, in doing that, uh, which only gets worse if you look you know further back if you look at Libya and whatnot. So. A big part of this, though, is unipolar actions by um, the West, uh, which, which shaped the urge for China to make this kind of new relationship with with, with the rest of Asia, basically, and Russia. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to push along through here one second. And uh, I think there's a lot I want to say in this document. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes. Okay. So that's this one here. The next thing that I think is a good document is uh, another one which just is called, um, it's the title of the document is uh, what the West gets wrong about the SEO. So I think this is actually the best one so far I've seen in terms of getting an understanding of what the SEO does and what it actually looks like. And I think that's what we're trying to achieve here is like, try and show the actual things that actually go on. Because when you look at an SEO meeting, it's quite boring. They just talk and there's lots of. Yeah. You know like meetings and sort of it kind of a bit like, feels a bit like the world economic forum where it's a bit unclear as to what is actually going on um, it seems so to I'll be
1: whenever it's reported on is the meeting itself taking place which is the news <laughs> the fact that the <laughs> leaders of these sort of like an anti-west coalition a meeting discussing what are they discussing that's not really <laughs> important because for the 24 hour news cycle it's quite boring news to sort of
0: yeah. To digest yeah 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 it is it is and and also there's a lot of like details uh you know there's deals that are signed and you know I might say 15 billion and you actually have to look at that deal to find something interesting and find actually what's going on and when you do start digging into it at least for me what I saw was you then see the SCO, and obviously the bigger term here is the Belt and Road Initiative the BRI you see how closely linked SCO, BRI, BRICS, then the Russian projects of the Eura, Eurasian uh, e, EU, AUS, whatever the, the, the European yeah. Union equivalent yeah. for, for, for Central Asia, being pushed by Russia. You see actually the sort of the BRICS, the actual bricks of bricks, and the bricks of the BRI, the, yeah. the actual belts the and roads. roads. Um, yeah. But you have to sort of go through the details because it, it is it isn't quite always there for you to grab. Um, so yeah, let's just take a look at this one here. Um, so things like the International North-South Transport Corridor, uh, which is driven by Iran, Russia, India, Azerbaijan. Then you have, obviously, like I just said, the Russian-led Eurasian Economic Union. Um, this FCO meeting is basically a platform where they all come together, leaders, and they work out mostly bilateral stuff. So it's not so much that the SEO makes these grand sort of things that affect everyone, but you meet and certain countries maybe trilateral maybe a few more but usually it's bilateral make a deal so for example you've got that that uh, transport corridor there but another one to look at is um so where we go so you have the uh what's called the central line uh, or the middle line sorry uh the middle corridor which is a rail line which will go from uh from china to europe via iran and turkey and Basically, this thing's important. Obviously, it cuts across the Caspian Sea, too. This thing's important, though, because, particularly because of the war right now in Ukraine, um, even the SCO members have had some issues, you know, with with uh, sanctions and whatnot, trying to yeah. get stuff along that northern corridor, which is just the old Trans-Siberian Railway, effectively. Um, and this middle corridor is a way to then, if there is some issue with one of the partners, they can then have an alternative route. Um, I think I've got an actual...
1: Is, has become an issue and will become, I think, more of an issue because of sanctions again, Uh would be initially the Afghan uh, Afghan government of, of President uh can't remember his name, it's escaped me, Uh the one who fled. And, uh, uh, take, uh, Hamid, Hamid, Hamid Karzai.
0: Not Hamid Karzai. Uh, Ashraf Ghani. He was Ghani. the original.
1: Ghani. Yes. Ashraf Ghani. Um, So he was a, an observer status for the Republic of Afghanistan. Um, but the SEO website doesn't seem to have updated since the Taliban have taken over and it's now the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Afghanistan is still listed as an observer and I just didn't know, couldn't work out whether that's out-of-date information or whether they are leaving that potential door open for a Taliban-led government. Because obviously, that route through Afghanistan is pretty important.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: So I thought that was a bit of, um, obviously, there's no information that I can really gather, so it would just be down to our guesswork, um, whether taliban tele- yeah. led government could potentially be some sort of...
0: So, it's a, it's a good observation, yeah. Yeah. great observation, uh, Chris. So, you're right in saying that the Afghan government is, sorry, Afghanistan is listed as, as a, an observer state, and... That's been, you know, that was arranged by, by the old government. Um, but what I can say is that at this last meeting, they did make the agreement to uh, open up a new route um, through Afghanistan. So as a part of an SEO structure, as a part of the, um, a part of um uh, here we go uh, part of, of of the infrastructure so i'm gonna open this one up yeah. here so they did start a transport corridor um that that a three-month trial has begun on this corridor which does go through afghanistan so i'm assuming <laughs> that that the Af- the taliban know something about this because it would be very crazy for me to for the chinese and uh whoever else in the cseo is involved kyrgyzstan uzbekistan to send trucks um you know willy-nilly um, yeah. Yeah. So this, is, this yeah. is the beginning. So, yeah. Several containers are currently on the move. Uh, left the, set, the first containers left the Chinese city of Kashgar on the 13th of September, and the trial period is set to last for three months. So this was reported by the Kyrgyz uh, Rail Authority. And yeah. So what is this new corridor? Uh, the first leg is by truck <laughs> from Kashgar. Uh, containers are trucked across the border to Kyrgyz, city of Osh. It is here they're loaded onto a train, which continues where it's across the, inter, uh, the Asian Central Asian countries countries to reach its final destination in Haratan in Afghanistan. So this stuff does go into Afghanistan. So, yes, um, yeah, Uh, but this is actually a very positive thing, though, for Afghanistan, because right now, most shipping goes to Afghanistan through this port of Karachi, which is in Pakistan. Um, If this overland route works, um, that can take two weeks, means the journey is basically two weeks from China to Afghanistan whereas that Oversea route, the Karachi route, is two months. So that makes a huge difference to logistics for, for Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, and obviously, for the, the uh, Taliban government, um, they've been completely economically shut out of the systems that they had available to them under the previous government. Uh, so mm. I can completely listen they, they said from day one of their new government that they're eager to sort of re-enter the world stage as partners so gone are the days of fighting off the godless communists Mm -hmm. they're more than Mm -hmm. more than willing and eager to to take business investment of anyone willing to help them if china Mm -hmm. are the ones offering that and america aren't then (laughs) this is um, another example of america not being able to see two steps in front of itself
0: yeah 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 i mean I'm, i'm curious as to see there might be some dusty old plans somewhere as to what the role of the Afghan government was supposed to be in the grand picture of American sort of geopolitics, I, yes. you know, obviously there was supposed to be a pro a pro Western state of throwing a thorn in the side of Iran and and of all of the Central Asian guys as well as China and Asia. Um, But those those points, and yeah exactly and. Uh, <laughs> The, those plans are, um, you know, I guess they'll be somewhere in an archive somewhere. Well, they probably burned them, actually. I mentioned. Flying yeah. <laughs> 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 around. Oh, side in a
1: basement in Mar-a-Lago.
0: <laughs> right. On <or an>, a <laughs> basement in Mar-a-Lago. Absolutely. Yeah, Top secret one. Yeah. But, um, okay. So, uh, yeah, as always, we've taken on a big topic that's, you know, a big thing to bite and to sort of chew and digest. So, I don't know if you want to go particularly to something next in regarding... Discussing and explaining SEO.
1: So, um, obviously, we've talked about when this was founded. It it was founded in two thousand and one. So, obviously, that's something that's quite obvious that this was in that decade of void of wonder in of the Soviet Union. Um, Obviously, one thing that I thought was quite interesting, just just jumping about a little bit, uh, I saw that Hmm. Turkey actually applied for membership in 2014 uh, which is still being discussed and in doing so they rescinded their request to join the european union of course turkey had their tippy toe in europe so that makes them european hmm.
2: <laughs> um
1: obviously it's just following the turkish tradition of switching sides whenever <laughs> you feel like it um, I, I almost love how much of a rogue cannonball they are on the deck at <laughs> this stage
2: um
1: <laughs> Obviously, just to sort of show an evidence that this is, despite the secrecy around it in the in the Western media, it is a growing power where you can almost argue that the West's economic power is declining in the fact that the West really isn't unified as it was. Um, mm. I don't know if a lot of people sort of know this, but, but with the terms first world, third world, usually the one that gets used about third world country as uh, Trump would have called it a all third world country, meaning a poor country. But this isn't what these terms mean. These terms are referring to the first world being NATO allied, second world being Soviet and Warsaw pact allied, third world was non allied. These weren't anything to do with the economics. If you use it in the same way, Singapore is a third world country, yet, it is incredibly rich. Very so wealthy, yeah. it shows yeah. that these things don't. Now, what we're actually looking at here with the membership of the SEO, a lot of these would have been for, former second world countries, former allied states of the Soviet Union, the Warsaw Pact. Hmm. Um, a few weeks ago, you made this point that uh, we did an episode of Gorbachev dying, and when he when he gave his interviews during after the Soviet Union collapse, he was always. I didn't realize the fallout, what would happen. I tried to keep the union, a union, uh, together. The SEO is almost everyone else's attempt to sort of undo what he did. They saw this need to be together in some primarily economic sense. The SEO Mm. do constantly state we are not a military organization. Now, there was an attempt, I believe, In 2014, um, it was debated whether to merge this with the Collective Security Treaty Organization, which is a military alliance of primarily Soviet, former Soviet states. China isn't a party to it. Obviously, with everything that's going on at the moment, I imagine Russia would be more than eager for China to join the security uh, military security oh, yeah. alliance, and okay. they've got treaties. Um, but it does feel like the, what the SEO is what we're looking at is an organization in its infancy. It is growing and it is evolving. And mm-hmm. as I think a lot of what China does, it is soft power. They do things by making friends and helping people, not by mm-hmm. uh, invading for resources and by, like how America has has done and do, does do. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it in the sort of... Um, more structured sort of narrative that you'd want to look at. No, this. no, no, no. I think
0: you're doing a good job. I, I'm, I'm listening. It's it's uh, it's it's good. Uh, I, I do have something to add. I'll, I'll I'll just add to, um, in terms of what you're saying is, with Gorbachev again, we we, we do want to try and give him a hard time. Well, we are giving <laughs> him a hard time. Um, you saw the breakup of an integrated economic um, system uh, across yeah. Eurasia from you know from Belarus all the way to at Alaska. Um, and and further, obviously, with 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 the gas in Europe, you're seeing obviously half, even further. But um yes, so a lot of these republics, the Soviet republics, the Central Central Asian republics, if you look at their rail networks, I'm going to put this map up here, which shows you sort of how the integration worked. Um, you can see that really we, we we had a delay in history, or not a delay in history, but a Um, yeah, a backward moment where where things went backwards and now we're going forwards again where we are reintegrating. So one second, I've got to get this map up, which is one moment. Uh, Which one is it? Sorry, It's a really difficult one. So this is a map from the United Nations, which shows you all of the uh, rail networks of Central Asia and how they work, basically, and how they're integrated, um, how they're connected. Um, And So it's quite complicated, but what I'll help you with and what I'll assist you in explaining is that there are different uh, widths in train tracks, okay? So we knew this when the, um, when the, here we go, no, I can't see, here we go. Yes, there it is, okay, it's open, it's up. Uh, We knew this was a problem when they had the grain discussion. So I was trying to get the grain out of Ukraine recently. And there is the tracks. well, the, the width the width right so soviet yeah. track or russian track is much wider than european track so they couldn't just take the trains from ukraine and just take them to uh, a european port because they'd have to get them off the trains onto the new trains and then drive them to the ports of of um of uh, of europe to then ship them around the world so if yeah. you look at this map here i'll zoom in a bit this is a trans asian railway network so if you're looking at the red stuff that is old soviet or russian lines some of it is trans-siberian and some of it obviously is soviet um and that's all you know uh on the russian gauge the russian size of track so i'm gonna zoom in a little bit here but yeah you can see then that like all of the central asian countries have that um gauge they have russian gauge so if you're looking over here you've got uh dushanbe which is, is obviously in uzbekistan Then you've got uh, Turkmenabad, which is in Turkmenistan, so you can see all of these guys have got the red uh, track, and that goes all the way to the Caucasus, etc. But what we're looking at now, what the SCO's projects is basically linking up these grey parts. So if you see the grey part here, you've got uh, the green is Chinese, so that's the Chinese tracks which are I think 1000 mils or whatever, it doesn't matter, it's smaller than the Russian one. Um, You can see Urumqi there, so that's Xinjiang, it does link up here, so at that point there, the trains have to stop and then offload, okay? But over here, you actually have no connection. So the SEO, the deals that you've they've signed recently is about linking up these gray areas. So between China and Kyrgyzstan, and then obviously, you also have that, like we said, the Afghanistan line, but of course, that one is by truck. It's not as developed. And then you also have stuff in the middle here with, I believe, Mongolia. Yeah, Mongolia. So that's what, that's what the Belt and Road looks like. We're talking about building these gray areas and linking stuff up uh, globally. I mean, obviously, it does also go down here into Vietnam and stuff, but that's not really the subject of today's discussion. But, yeah, um, that's the integration that was lost uh, and disrupted when you broke up the Soviet Union. Uh, yes. And this SEO is, is a partial you know, reemergence of connecting the world again um, and connecting at least that part of the world again. Yeah,
1: and that, but the tracks. That's it's such a simple problem to sort of overlook. Like, I don't think most people would have even even have ever realised that. You, you you think trains are trains and tracks are tracks, yeah. and I think that everybody yeah. uses a slightly different version that's completely incapa- com- incompatible with each other's. But obviously, that's mm. such a huge problem to try and overcome, but it's such an easy one to overlook.
0: Right, right. It is, it is, it is. I mean, obviously. I think you know, obviously, because it started with each country developing its own railway system and whatnot. But yeah, it is a huge problem. I mean, on that map there, there is an example. There is a specific dual gauge line between Vietnam and China, but that has not been successful for Russia and the former Soviet Union and China linking up their trains. So usually yeah. has to switch yeah. to Russian line, Russian gauge. Um, there's something that she uh, said in his speech as well. So he, she um, went to this meeting in Samarkand, the SCO meeting that happened two weeks ago. And it was the first trip he made out of China since the pandemic. So it's very important. Yes. So there's something very important about that. I mean, uh, politicians and leaders usually speak through acts like that, you know, sort of making a statement in terms of where do yeah. you go
1: first. And it does. Sort of, it
2: does involve you. Know, it's very important. Volume,
1: right? When you look at yeah, those yeah, meetings with Biden and uh, President Xi and the fact they're just over video camera, mm.
0: Mm.
1: It, mm. to me, it gives the impression. Well, this isn't important enough for me to meet you in person. Right. But the fact that he will leave the office to go and meet these people, it, it it's a sign of respect yeah. and a sign of seriousness.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the main reader, of course, has been COVID. He doesn't want to leave because of COVID. Yeah. He's told basically everyone who goes out has to do lots of quarantine to get back. So he's leading from the front in the sense that, okay, I'm also going to stay here. I'm not going to leave. And I haven't, even though I'm the leader and I need to do these things, I haven't done it. Um, okay. I believe the only leader that he would have met, actually, in the last three years might have been Putin, who came to the Olympics in February. Uh, I'd stand to be corrected on that. But nonetheless, he actually technically also didn't go to the SCO meeting first. He first went to Kazakhstan, so two weeks ago, which, again, shows you, again, the importance of Kazakhstan to China. So Kazakhstan is also where she made the BRI speech, the first BRI speech, as they call it now. He was at a university and he unveiled this idea. It was the birth of this idea of the Belt and Road Initiative and the new Silk Roads and all that kind of stuff. But in the speech that he made to Kazakhstan, um, he said something very interesting, which I never thought about before, uh, which is when we talk about the Belt and Road Initiative and the Silk Roads and stuff, we usually think about Chinese goods going to Europe or Europe, European goods going to China uh, and vice versa. But actually he makes a very interesting point here. So this is from his speech. He says uh, at the China Kazakhstan international logistics base in the Eastern Chinese port of Liao products from Kazakhstan set sail for the Pacific ocean. So you're not talking about the goods actually even staying in China, being sold in China. You're talking about the goods, Kazakh goods going to America or South America or wherever which yeah. i never thought about actually it's yeah.
1: mutual aid so it's not to say that well yeah. it was our idea so it's going to benefit us the most because we're china where it is literally yeah. everyone who joins this initiative is going to help you whether yeah whoever you're trading with
0: yeah yeah so, so yeah it's, it's actually the, a network Yeah, right, right there are yeah. european it's states that are try it,
1: that want to be part of it so it's going to make trade between kazakhstan and italy easier. It's going to make trade between Italy and Norway easier provided mm-hmm. these states uh, signatures for this.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the other thing that I think when when uh, these guys talk about this being a new form of international relations is that you have projects. So, for example, uh, there's a Greek port, I believe the Costco port is a part of the BRI. So there's technically no list, like definitive government approved list of BRI projects. It's more of a sort of Okay, this would be defined as something that is associated with that. So you can have countries which are in the EU, which are in NATO, like Greece, and having it has a port, which is Chinese funded and a part of, is normally a part of the the BRI. So that's the other thing that is quite interesting about this type of uh, power, this type of uh, development is that. It's not quite so, um, you know. It's 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 more finessed. There's it's far more uh, nuanced. It's not such a, a sort of Tetris kind of blocks falling together like that. It's far more um, networked. I think.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: and it just goes to show. Whatever there's anything positive to say, I think that's why they don't try to repeat it because when you ha- when you talk about it, there's so many positives. So the media would just rather mm-hmm. not. Um, I, w- I was showing my. Uh, and say a few days ago a video we were talking about sort of cancel culture and i said if there's anybody who's managed to avoid cancel culture it is akon because akon did an interview a few years ago where you know where he's been since he stopped really doing music he's been in africa
0: and he's in africa making doing charity work stuff right he managed that to
1: basically that? electrify like a 100 million african homes and when he goes on to these uh shows to talk about how he did it he says well he said Nobody has done more to help Africa than China. And because the Chinese gave him the grant to do this. And he's got, mm-hmm. but because he's as far as the media have got, oh, he's just gone mad and just ran off with of China to go and do stuff in Africa. So they just don't want to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that's kind that's of possible. Yeah. Really <laughs> an example of cancel culture. The fact that he's been, <laughs> this absolute accomplishment has just been abandoned because he did this with the help of uh, a yeah, Chinese yeah, initiative. Yeah.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The original cancer culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think that's also another part about this is that Western narrative, Western media hates to talk about the success of the BRI. And also there isn't a Western uh, counterpart. There isn't any right now. There is no Western backed project that matches in uh, cost or ambition what the BRI has already done and and will plan to do and and, and plans to do, sorry. Um, Yeah, I I mean, and also when there are some issues, like they always bring up this thing about the port in Sri Lanka and uh, there was also this fake news story about this airport in Uganda. The the Western media always jumps on this with, okay, debt trap diplomacy. uh, This is imperialism and all sorts of stuff. Um, I think we'll have to talk about that on a specific episode, actually, talk about uh, that port and uh, the airport story as well. That'd be quite good. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, th- those are. I think they need some depth of conversation, which I haven't done the research for and, tonight. But and to yeah.
1: first, they they do manage to find some random African man who will go on camera and say, "Oh, the Chinese," and just slag them off. And it's always it's the the African equivalent of the mag and nutter with a cap on, wearing sunglasses in his truck, <laughs> ranting. It's like you've just found some madman who who said do you want to be on camera and talk shit about China. It's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they're saying that this is what China are doing is is a net positive in Africa. Mm, they find yeah. stories that are generally sort of ridiculous. I have to point them out, like of, um, about things like racism and things well. So, so well, these things are illegal in China. So that you mm. can't use the minority and then call it the rule. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like, yeah.
1: There are there are racists in every country. You're finding st- anecdotal stories about a, a racist official Chinese official in Africa being horrible to African workers so well hmm. if this information if I've heard about this information I can guarantee someone in China has this person probably already lost the job
0: yeah yeah I mean also like you said it, it's a it's a, a small story so you take an individual foreman or an individual company that did something or had a bad practice or uh, whatever and say okay well this this means that this is across the board all of them are doing this and this is the sum total of everything that's happening here there's obviously yeah. far more positive yeah. than the negative and and there will be always be problems i mean you have millions of people involved in these construction projects and yeah i mean racism still a problem so yeah but the idea that um that that's coming from the top the racism is from the top yeah, down like it's, normal. It's, it's ridiculous i mean these people uh, the chinese government has you know given off uh, debt relief uh, loans without any uh, conditions—you uh, know, you're letting these people develop yep. on their own terms. Um, obviously, there's lots of corruption with African leaders, and and of course across many other countries too, including the UK. But um, uh, but the point is, is that the development is not sort of it is it's it's making development progress. There's, there's progress yeah. in in Africa. Um, in I, think but I think true. that's. I think again, 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 that would be another specific. I think we should do a, a China and Africa episode. Um, that would be interesting and fascinating to do.
1: Yeah, through. it would be. There'd be a lot there. But I see the uh, SEO as it, it's one more modern tool or example of this building and solidifying of mm. the multipolar world in a way that can't really be reversed by any way other than by an absolute catastrophic war. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the media made a big point of, obviously they had the conference, which they have the conference every year. Uh, it's always in rotating countries. So this year was Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. Um, the only real thing that I heard about it in the Western media was I perceived the SEO leaders aren't very happy with Putin over the issues in Ukraine. Now, mm. obviously, everybody in the SEO and Most people want the situation in Ukraine to come to an end as quickly and as painlessly as possible. Um, Mm. But that's a different thing from China saying we're not happy with Putin over these actions and these actions. Obviously, in in many ways, you can argue that a lot of the SEO have actually benefited from, since the West have stopped buying Russian goods, those goods Mm. have started now going more to them. Uh, usually better prices we've talked before about india have been buying a record amount of russian gas uh obviously Mm -hmm. that's now going to china as well we've we've talked about the idea of since russia have been kicked off the swift banking system the potential possibility of them now being hooked into china's banking system i think many ways china probably they could do that i think they're holding off on it because they're like well we don't want that level of sanctions to come back if
0: right, right. if the west
1: saw see china what would look like laundering russia's money for them mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah America actually excellent just point just share
1: sanctions on them which they don't want
0: yeah yeah i think i think the with what you've just said there's actually a, a russian um one of these academics that goes on cgtn and speaks about the seo he said that in fact The West shapes the SCO more than the SCO shapes itself. So what you were just talking about there, a new financial system, um, integrating Russia and the stands and whoever else is in the SCO as a a new or counter to to Swift. Um, That's happened because of sanctions, because of sanctions imposed by um, the West on Russia, but also Iran. So Iran has been pushed into the arms of the SCO because of the West. You know, yeah. nuclear deal with Trump and with obviously the, the decades-old antagonism between uh, with Iran and, and the West. Um, they've been pushing the arms of of the SEO and into China and whatnot. And um, the other thing is, That's of course, sort of
1: always how it is with sort, of, especially with um, that, as Marxists. From a, from when you look at any anti-imperialist coalition, they're always hmm. strange bedfellows because they're usually always alliances hmm. of necessity. Yeah. I'm no fan of Islamic clericism. I, I don't. I wouldn't want to live <laughs> under Shia clerics. But at the same time, we wouldn't be supporting radical left-wing groups to try and take over Iran now of all times. It's like,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. So it, it does yeah. make strange yeah. bedfellows, and it is.
0: It does, it does, yeah. <laughs> on, on, on the specifics of, of how, how this Western, uh, West, the West or the US shapes the SEO. We did mention this briefly, so I'm going to show uh, two things here. So the um, middle line, so I'll just show you that now. One second. So I'll show you the middle line on from the Turkish website. So this middle line is busy being built uh, right now because of the fact that shipping stuff or sending it on rail through Russia can violate sanctions. It can leave you open to be sanctioned, including Turkey in this case. Yep. So they're then going to open up this... Uh, line which the train obviously cuts across uh, Central Asia, then when it hits the Caspian Sea, it goes to Baku, I assume by boat, um, and then across Azerbaijan, across Georgia, and into Turkey. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that is now being discussed to get around sanctions. And then if you look um, over here, uh, no, that was it. So that was all I want to show for that one. Was the um, oh, oh sorry, I've also got this one here, which is the Kyrgyz, Kyrgyz, China, Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan railroad deal so um i don't want to show you this one it hasn't got a nice map but again another rail sort of link that's being built because of the seo meeting but nonetheless yeah the whole point that we're making there is that the seo is largely being shaped by western actions right now and geopolitics being taking part elsewhere um yeah yeah
1: yeah so we've spoke about this before i think in one of our last episodes uh we showed uh videos of an american general uh, given into where basically he gave his sort of uh, fan fiction wet dream scenario of war with China in the next 10 years. And this is mm. something that a, drumbeat has been repeated a lot. Like John Pilger did that amazing film, the coming war with China where he predicted this a long time ago. The Chinese know this, like obviously with uh Chinese, they're not as sort of open with, debate as say the soviets were every time the soviets had a debate they'd release it in a book and you could buy the book and read it what exactly what was said uh chinese are a bit more sort of you had to be there to get the minutes Um, but we know that these discussions do so i have no doubt that china know that the day is going to come where they're going to be financially cut off from the west Um, but Mm -hmm. i believe that they're not eager to accelerate that to come closer they want to be able to make money and fuel their economy as best they can right until the moment when the door closes. Mm, 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 They're mm. they're smart with that. They they are building up military force. And
2: Mm
1: -hmm. like we've seen and talked about, there are are efforts to make a sort of stable, lasting military alliance. Um, The SEO may one day merge into that. Um, But even amongst members of the N seo they're not militarily unified so we've seen borders disputes between china and india uh, mm. when you actually watch them they're actually terrifying because they've got an agreement of no guns basically on the front line so what you're actually looking at is it's like a medieval army of men with shields and batons moving in in like legionaries into positions mm-hmm. and they get Whatever you hear about mm-hmm. the, these clashes and indians and chinese soldiers dying they've been beaten to death by the other side's billy clubs it's
0: yeah
1: but i suppose yeah. when you compare that to the um sort of the, these border conflicts that have happened in neighboring states uh what's the one that's just happened between Tajikistan
0: the, 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 and the kyrgyzstan yeah
1: yeah um i suppose have, banning your border troops from having guns kind of makes sense when you look at what's happened to them uh, where silly yeah. fallouts can happen over someone putting a security camera up on their border and then the other side and this is all all fallout of the way it broke up in the 90s because they broke up and hmm. nobody knew whose land was what you have enclaves of each other's countries in in the neighboring countries and well yeah
0: a- I've got yeah yeah I was gonna say I, was, I can show you some of this stuff actually yeah I, I think so. Is, is 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 yeah this is some interesting stuff um as you just said the whole border thing um yes the Indian china border clash thank god that they have at least good enough relations to say okay well we might not agree where the border is right now and we are you know yeah. not happy with each other regarding what you think the border is what I think the border is but, but we can definitely agree that right, right right but we can definitely agree that no guns or heavy weapons. Fifty kilometers away from the border. Let's at least agree with that. Yeah, okay, that makes yeah. sense. And then that's obviously how uh, you ended up with a yeah that that whatever it was thousand like eight thousand feet high uh, fight on the Himalayas. Himalayas yeah. with, with clubs. Yeah, which which was just terrible. I mean, lots of lots of guys died and, and froze yeah. to death. And stuff. It could have been a lot worse. And yeah, it could have. Been, but it could have been a lot worse. I mean, it could have been a, a full escalation. Um, yeah. So sadly, though. Uh, Tajik and Kyrgyz have not quite got that part yet, that agreement yet. But I think that's the kind of thing that you will see the SEO, the SEO wants to resolve border disputes. So it's about economics. It's about infrastructure. It's about security, but it's more about this uh, holistic view of security. So this idea of security being about economics, not just guns and tanks, um, and also having some sort of mutual relationship with your, with your neighbors. So, um, yeah, I'm going to put up this thing here. Just actually two things, uh, One is the 30 year development of, it's a quick one, don't worry, we're not gonna watch 30 years of development of Central Asian republics. So where their economies were in 1990 and where they are today. And I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna jump to some timestamps. So take a look here. So this is 1990, okay. So as you can see, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan were the wealthiest and then per capita also uh, the wealthiest, okay. Population, Uzbekistan, 20 million, Kazakhstan, 16 million. And then the other stands, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan there. Okay, so, and if we sort of jump ahead to 1995, you can see that everyone uh, is basically poorer uh, save save Uzbekistan. So yeah, no, even Uzbekistan, so everyone is poor. Everyone is poorer, everyone is poorer uh, five years after the change. And if you jump ahead to 2000, so 10 years after the breakup, that's when things start to get better. But what I will note, though, is if you look at Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, the poorest, um, you'll see that Tajikistan had $537 per capita in 1990. And in 2000, so 10 years later, they were down to $156 per capita. So they really, really dropped. So even though Kazakhstan and other countries might have balanced out by the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot of the other republics, specifically uh, Tajikistan, were like, dirt poor, um, things are not going well. Jump ahead to 2010, you can see uh, things get better. Uh, Tajikistan's back to 800, uh, Kazakhstan cruising ahead to 11,500 per person. And then obviously to, to you get, when you get to 2020, um, you can see that the, the, the Kazakhstan and, and Turkmenistan have done well, uh, really well. The others not so much and Tajikistan, as much as it has $838 per capita, it's still pr- really poor. Um, yeah other thing to note is just the population. So despite Kazakhstan being the biggest, um, Uzbekistan has more people by nearly double. So Uzbekistan has thirty three million people, and Kazakhstan has eighteen, but Kazakhstan has way more, way more terrain. Um, so that's just an idea, just to give you the, the sort of some statistics on population and GDP, and obviously just so you can f- re-familiarize yourself with which one is where, okay? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it is kind of confusing even for myself. So this is where it gets um, interesting though. So I'm just going to play something from, uh, I'm going to play something from uh, the Caspian Report, which is talking about water wars. Okay, so uh, this is something that affects this region very very specifically, very important to this region is, is water access and the limitation of water access. So I'm just going to put this up here.
2: nowhere is this contest more evident than in Fergana Valley. In this triangular space, two rivers meet to make for a lush, green, fertile basin that is ideal for large settlements, agriculture and heavy industries. When viewed from above, it is easy to see why this green plain surrounded by steep mountains and dry steppes houses about 14 million people or about a quarter of Central Asia's total population.
0: Okay, so there you go, that's, that's the Fagana Valley, um, very important river network in uh, the stands. So now if we uh, jump ahead, I just wanna show you, basically uh, what happens is that when these border clashes, there's lots of different things going on. Some of it is related to, uh, water, some of it is related to just these enclaves, and then uh, other stuff, you know, sort of economic issues. But I'll jump ahead and just show you the next part, which explains how one of these border clashes basically unfolded. This is not about the recent one um, that just happened. It's about uh, further back, I think this is last year, this border guard, uh, this border incident happened. Uh, Twelve one second. Okay, so
2: local irrigation. When the Tajiks placed surveillance cameras at the Zapier is woven into every part of my business and I can't live without it. I'm Jay, the COO of Wake Up Wall- A water facility opposing Kyrgyz protesters came out swinging with rocks and sticks. Before long, border guards joined the fray with guns and mortars. Each side accused the other of firing first and within hours Attack helicopters, tanks, and mortar shells raged across the area, leaving over 50 dead and more than 40,000 people displaced. It was the heaviest fighting seen in years. And even though the skirmish quickly subsided, it was a rude reminder of how tense the situation is.
0: So there you go. That's how one of these border clashes unfolds. The other thing, too, that Chris already mentioned is the enclaves. So during the Soviet Union, you had lots of different agreements re- um, made between the then Soviet republics as to how uh, to maybe work together on a farming project or give some land in exchange for something else. And you ended up with um, technically then pieces of territory inside each other's republic. But it didn't matter because it was an open border. It was one you know, union. Um, And then it collapsed and there wasn't any foresight to that collapse, as Gorbachev has told us. Um, That was not the plan. And so you ended up then with loads of tiny little villages. Some of them are literally two kilometer strips inside each other's country. So um, if you can see this here, we've got something like this over here, which is the uh, Kaigarach, literally a two kilometer long piece of land inside uh, Kyrgyzstan, but it's a Tajik piece of land. Okay, so that's one of the small ones. And then you've got much bigger ones. So this one here, Varukh, uh, a mountain village uh, in Tajikistan, surrounded by uh, Kyrgyzstan um, with a whole village in there, you know, uh, quite a big one and quite a big piece of territory there. And there's loads of them. So we can't yeah, go through. Right another example of this
1: would have been the recent issues that we've seen between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Absolutely. Which, when, you, when you look at a lot of these uh countries particularly particularly I, I seem to notice ex-soviet states yeah the because the 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 borderline on a soviet state in inside the union is basically drawn in pencil because it doesn't really matter like you say it's an open border the borders they yeah. more mostly more about culture than anything else uh because the economy is fairly integrated anyway um mm-hmm. but when they all become independent of each other these become these borders are now drawn in pen and become problems uh, so you've got these impossible lines that are navigating cultural neighborhoods and cause these enclaves to happen and when you've mm-hmm. got this tension it's like well I'm now surrounded by an, uh, in some cases an unfriendly country's military that is bearing yeah. down on my village because <laughs> we're Armenian
0: <laughs> right 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 well right, right, Azerbaijan right. or Right. don't mean right, to take right. sides, yeah.
1: I'll make, right. <laughs> get angry <laughs> Armenians yeah. in the comments, <laughs> i
0: like, a <they> point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this comes back to that point though about the um, legacy of Boris Gorbachev, I know we can yeah. go back to this, but you're talking about a legacy of complete chaos, economic collapse, as you saw with mm-hmm. loads of those countries there, particularly Tajikistan and, and the other stands too, uh, economic deprivation, uh, they went backwards for 10 years, things got better, but 10 years of lost economic growth. And then yes, like loads of unresolved issues like these border regions here, and then having now, um, you know, a Republic, a nationalist Republic, a Tajik Republic, which stands in opposition to a Kyrgyz one and Uzbek one, which have shared water resources and dams and and electric grids. Uh, So really a mess, a real mess left um, after the collapse. So again, this is where the SCO then steps in um, with trying to find means to resolve these border disputes finding ways to reintegrate and work together. Um, so that, in that sense, it's good to have the SEO in, in, in Central Asia trying to yeah. um, navigate this. And, and to be honest, there isn't really any other alternative to um, to, to to resolve these issues. There's no, uh, the UN doesn't really have the, I don't really see the UN coming in and doing something like that. Um, but also just one quick on, just, yeah. just cause I mentioned that. Um, the SEO also does not see itself as a, um, something to go over the UN. They have quite openly stated, and quite um, you know clearly stated that they see the UN as where uh, international geopolitics should take place, and international sort of uh, discussion and law and uh, rules yeah. and law uh, should take take place, and where it if is. You, if, you are are sort of, if
1: you would to sort of compare it or rephrase what the SEO is in sort of terms of like a maybe like a political party, if, if sort of you want to pretend the UN is the Labour Party, the NS, the SCO would be sort of uh, Labour Marxist or like a pressure group within mm. to sort of... Mm. So yeah. with the yeah. Yeah, SCO's aim is to promote and help build, for practically, mm. a multipolar world, uh, where the UN on paper and a lot of its not-American <laughs> members want that. They behave as if the UN is that, but you all know that it's not. Like, I remember the amazing speech that Muammar um, Gaddafi gave at the UN where he basically attacked the UN for being complicit and being in tow of the United States and said this is meant to be mm. our organisation and it's not anymore it's theirs. Mm. Yeah. So mm. Mm. you can view the, the SEO of, of a way of helping countries get the confidence to demand that power back. Mm. Uh, just mm. to talk about Africa again, um, I remember when Barack Obama went to Africa to give his speech and he basically told African nations, you've come too late to the Industrial Revolution. Um, unfortunately, you can't do it now because the environment's so bad. I was like, well, absolutely not. The alternative is us depending on you and your good, mm. good faith, if that's even a mm. thing where China's saying, Well, no, you can industrialize, you can modernize, and we can work it out. Mm. It Mm. is important Mm. for Mm. your nation's survival to not depend on another nation. Mm. If you do, then like Thomas Sankara famously said, if the country feeds us, they own us. That's it. I think
0: that's That's
1: that's what I I keep saying China in a lot of this when I mean the SEO, but obviously it is from shanghai this is you can very much mm. say this was china's brainchild china don't believe in intellectual yeah. property the way the rest of the world does so they don't take ownership of this <laughs> they, they will come up with an idea and share it evenly yeah. i think that's the, the way to, to to view this now people who have watched this yeah. will come away from this understanding that this is an idea in its infancy but it's a good one yeah. and it's something that we should enjoy watching grow and member states join. Definitely.
0: Um, definitely. Definitely. Stuff. And I think my, my closing remarks will be um that I think actually it would be better if the SEO didn't uh go straight away to making a military alliance. I think it would be much better just to keep winning on the economics yeah. front. Keep building yeah. railways, keep building bridges, keep building ports keep resolving issues and building power lines and, uh, linking up central Asia economically so that, uh, when the West, uh, particularly the U S tries to come and breaking and smashing down, uh, whatever's been built, um, the sanctions and the economic decoupling from China or Russia or any, whoever the victim is of imperialism at the time, that if you want to decouple this country from that, it's so difficult. There's so many yeah. bridges. There's so many links. There's so many systems. Uh, you can't just turn off Visa. You can't just turn off Switch. You can't just uh, close one pipeline. You're talking about yeah, integration. Is, uh, Stop a yeah, exactly. If you have a, yeah. the, the more integrated that Eurasia becomes, the better it is for Eurasians people on that uh, plateau, on that in that place of the world. Um, yeah. and the better for the rest of us because uh, imperialism will not be able to to take part of, to, to to do what it needs to do what it wants to do. Um, yeah, they'll make their work much. Yeah,
1: harder. I completely
2: agree
0: yeah. Hmm. I, think that's, that's, um, uh, I think that's it for tonight. So we will come back uh, next week uh, with whichever topic we decide. If you have any comments, please put the comments in. And uh, there are timestamps. I should have mentioned this at the beginning. Use, use the timestamps um, that I'll place in. But yeah. And uh, please like, share, subscribe. We are looking for as many subscribers as we want. We want to try and get to 250. This is our first target which I've just uh, declared now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you very much, everyone, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you for watching. See you next week.
0: And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.